Welcome to the Celebrate Community Church of Yankton podcast. My name is Jeff Todd, and I have the privilege of serving as pastor of this amazing church family here in Yankton, South Dakota. Our episode today is from our series, Identity Theft. Identity theft is a growing problem around our world, but there's more to your identity than just a picture or a number. The world tries to sell us an identity that we were never intended to hold. And if we're honest, we tend to believe more what others say about us than what is true. In this series, we will fight to reclaim our God-given identity and live out His purpose for our life. It was a Sunday morning and the teacher was just getting ready to start her Sunday school class when a brand new four-year-old little boy showed up with absolutely no adults. And then you can imagine the teacher tried to get some information out of the child, like uh, she was able to get his first name, it was Brian, and then she wasn't able to get any more information out of Brian, like last name or where he belonged to. So she asked Brian, what's your daddy's name? He thought about it for a little bit and he looked at her kind of weird and said, daddy? Well, she tried again, Brian, what's your mommy's name? And again, little Brian thought she was a little weird, kind of tilted his head to the side and asked, Mommy? <laughs> Suddenly she knew how to get the right answer from little Brian. And so she said, Brian, what does your daddy call your mommy? And at this, little Brian's face lit up and he looked at the teacher and he said, Hey, baby. <laughs> Look at somebody right now and say, Hey, baby. <laughs> if you're a guest, we want to say welcome home. We're so glad that you're joining us here today. We have been in a series called identity theft. Every 79 seconds in this country, someone's identity is being stolen. Every 79 seconds. Now, I would just say this. If I am not worried at all about my identity being stolen, I'm not at all, because here's the problem. I'm a pastor. (laughs) If you want to steal my identity, go for it. Guaranteed, you'll probably bring it back to me later. But We haven't really been talking about somebody stealing our social security card or our driver's license or our bank account information. No, we've really been talking about who we are, who God has called us to be, who God has designed us to be, and how we can lose that identity, how quickly that can be, and how it can cause a lot of damage in our lives. And throughout this series, we want to reclaim our God-given identity. And last week I made this statement, and just by way of review, we're going to go back and look at it one more time. Identity determines everything. Identity determines everything. Every stupid decision I've ever made in my life is when I've allowed my identity to be stolen. Every failure that I ever had is because I've forgotten who I was in Christ. You know, a lot of times with our identity, it really helps to have other people around. We've been talking about community and being around other people. And and sometimes just the mere presence of someone has a way of impacting our identity and helping us remember who we are in Christ. I'll give you an example. When I was in high school, my junior and senior year of high school, my parents had bought a house. And this house was really cool because the basement actually used to be a rental. And so my junior and senior year of high school, I basically had my own apartment 
in the basement of my house. We had our own entrance, we had our own kitchen, we had our own bathroom. It was pretty awesome. Needless to say, my place was kind of the cool place to hang out with my group of friends. We kind of all defaulted to the guy that already had his own apartment, right? And we had a lot of fun, we, we did a lot of great things, but, but here's what I want you to remember about that. My parents were right upstairs the whole time. Okay, things never got that out of hand or that crazy because we would always remember the presence of my mother and my father. Here's my point behind that. We sometimes forget who our daddy is. And I would contend too, not only do we forget who he is, we forget where he's at. Friends, our Heavenly Father is everywhere at all times. If, if we really understood that, if we really got that, I think it would change everything about our lives. I guarantee you we'd sin a lot less. Think about this. If you invited me over to your house, <laughs> would there be some things that maybe were a little different because the pastor was there? And if it was, we really need to think about that. Because our presence shouldn't change. Someone's presence shouldn't change who we are. But we should always remember who God is and how he is always present. So today we're going to look at a passage in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And if you're watching online, you can go to that Bible tab, you can click on that, or you can go to version. If you don't have a Bible, I keep saying it, you need to have a Bible. We don't want you just to bring it on Sunday or read it while you're watching. We want you to be in God's Word all the time and be part of that. And if you need a Bible, let us know. We'd love to get that for you. But 1 Samuel 30, last week we looked at the life of King David. We looked at a moment in time when King David had a great struggle in life. Today, we're going to rewind back way before David became king of Israel. And at this time, there was another king in Israel, a king by the name of Saul. And I'd like you to go back and read that story, but just to kind of catch up if you're not familiar, Saul had started out as one of God's chosen kings. But Saul did something that you and I sometimes do. We go on our own separate ways. And because of the decisions that Saul had made, he'd led the kingdom into a place where it should have never have gone because Saul forgot who he was. And because of that, God tore the kingdom away and said, Saul, you're no longer going to be my king. And God had anointed David to be the king. Well, needless to say, this didn't sit very well with Saul, all right? And so Saul actually became very jealous of David, even though David was still a faithful servant to Saul, despite knowing the fact that he's going to be the king one day. But Saul didn't like that. And Saul continued to pursue David and harass David and eventually came to a part where he was going to kill David. So David, for his own safety, had to flee. And David and a group of his followers and all of their families lived in a community of Ziglag. Ziglag is where they were staying. Now, at this time, there was a group of people called the Amalekites. And the Amalekites saw that there was some division in the house of Israel and decided that this would be an opportunity to come in and start attacking. And so they were pursuing the Israelites, Saul's army. There's also the Philistines there as well. But David and his men were out fighting one time. And while they were out fighting, a group from the Amalekites came and attacked the community of Ziglag, where David and his wives and his children and all of his men's families were staying there. And they came and they destroyed the town and they took all the women and children captive. And that's right where we're going to pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. This is what it says. David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. 
Each one was bitter in spirit because of his son and daughter. But David found strength in the Lord. Can you imagine this group of men who are entrusting their lives to David? And they're going out and they're fighting. They're fighting a righteous battle. And they come back and they find all of their homes have been destroyed. Their families have been taken captive. And they're angry and they're hurt. And they're going to take it out on King David. But what did, King, what did David do at that point? He found his strength in the Lord his God. Church, never forget, it's better to talk it out with God than to take it out on people. If you take it out on people, you will regret it every single time. But we can't blame these men. When something is taken from us, we feel the need to, to get it back. We, we want to turn and point our fingers. We want to lick our wounds. But that's not what David did in this situation. David found his strength in the Lord his God. And look at what verse 8 says. David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake him? Pursue them, the Lord answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Church, remember this. Our identity determines everything. When you know what really matters, you know what's worth the fight. And you won't fight for what doesn't matter. See, at that point, David really clearly understood what really mattered. It wasn't Saul. It wasn't even the Amalekites. It was his families. It was his men's families. They needed to go and they needed to get that. And he went to God and he sought God's face and God said, go, go get him. See, it's easy to hurt. It's easy to forget what we're fighting for. It's easy to turn inward and lick our wounds and point a finger. But our identity determines everything. And King David knew the fight was worth it. And so he sought the Lord and the Lord said that. And church, I want you to hear this from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> It's worth the fight. And our church, fighting for who we are in Christ, is worth the fight. There are some things that God says to go after. So today, I want you to write these down. Here's three things that God says go after. Here's the first one. Radical living. Radical living. I don't want to play it safe. I want to storm the gates of hell. And I want to do it with people who are in love with God and who are in love with me. Church, it is time for us to be radical. When we read God's word over and over and over again, we see ordinary men and ordinary women who God has called to an extraordinary time and place. And they don't play it safe. That's why we still read about them, because they live radical lives. And one of my, one of my favorite people from God's Word is the Apostle Paul. And, and you've heard me say this before, but if you're a guest, this is a guy who hated the church. This is a guy who would round up Jesus' followers and have them arrested and beaten and even murdered. Okay, If you're listening today and you don't like Christians, that's, the, that's your guy right there. Okay? But, but something happened to Paul. He, he went from being a hater of the church to being a devout follower of Jesus Christ. And in Acts 26, Paul is sharing his story with one of the governors of the Roman Empire. Look what it says in verse 19. 
This is Paul talking. I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, where he had been heading. Then to those in Jerusalem. And in all Judea. And then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Paul lived a radical life. He made a radical shift from being a persecutor of the church to being a leader and to spreading the gospel further than anyone has ever spread it before or I would contend since. One third of our New Testament was written by Paul and his life had been completely changed. But can I help you with something? We, we look at that and we say, yeah, wouldn't that be great to be Paul? It actually wasn't because the people in Paul's day didn't respond well. Remember what I just got done saying where he was at? He was on trial for his life. And in this great inspired speech that he gives about his story, look at how it's received by the governor Festus. Verse 24, at this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. Friends, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we're going to be radically different from those of us around around us. Our lives are going to be set apart. It might make us, can I just say, it might make us look a little weird. It might make us look a little intense. It, it might make us look a little kind of shaky sometimes. And I don't think we want that. I think we want to stay comfortable. But God didn't call us to that. God calls us to be radical. There is absolutely no way that the God of the universe, who fills you with his presence, who parts waters, who raises people from the dead, who heals the blind and heals the lepers, who hangs on a cross and three days later smashes the grip of death in the grave. This is the God that is in you. And I would contend there is no way that that God is going to say, now what I want you to do is sometimes when it's convenient for you, show up on Sunday morning. And if you feel like it, maybe sing along to some of the songs, but mostly just sit quietly, get up, sit an hour, and leave. I just don't think that's what he calls us to. But yet that's what we've created in this country. The, the American church is broken. And, and if that's what our faith has boiled down to, just an hour on Sunday when it's convenient for us, we're missing out on what God has called us to do. And I don't think that's just an indictment. I believe it's paramount. I think this is what Jesus was talking about when he, Jesus said, and these are Jesus' words, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom. He's talking about being radical. It's far more than just lip service. It's more than just putting a fish on your bumper. <laughs> it's more than just getting your name on a church membership. It's radical. It's not about doing something. It's about your identity. Your identity is the fruit of what God has done in you and God has changed you. And if God is truly in your life, church, it's going to be radical. A few weeks ago, we talked about the show um, Fixer Upper. And I talked about how in that show, if you're not familiar, there's a couple that will buy a home or help a couple buy a home. And they go in and they take this house and it's, it's, it's kind of in rough shape. And they totally redo it. It's like a whole new house. And I said, that's what God wants to do in our lives. 
He doesn't want to come in and just move the furniture around and paint a couple walls, call it good. No, no, no. This is a complete overhaul. It's a complete gut job with brand new where people will drive by the same house and go, whoa, what's going on there? Something's different. Is that what people do in your life? Do people see a different version? Because that's what God's called us to be, is to be radical. It's like the story of the chicken and the pig. Now, if you're not familiar with this story, I want to help you with what this is. So the chicken and the pig, they're walking down the road together, right? And they see a sign, and it says, annual fundraiser, ham and egg breakfast. Now, the chicken turns to the pig and says, hey, that's right up our alley. Let's go help out. And, and this is what the pig says. He says, sure, that's easy for you. You just contribute. For me, it's a total commitment. And when I look around the church in the United States of America today, can I just be honest? I see a lot of chickens. I, I, see, I see a lot of people who just want to contribute and don't want to be a total commitment. I see a lot of people who just want to come and show up and, and, and not be fully committed as the pig would be, right? It's almost like instead of, you know, hey, I'll put a few bucks in the plate when I can. You just want to go, bark, 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 you're chicken. Or, or, well, you know, I, I'll, I'll, I'll maybe check out a life group at some point, but I don't really want to get committed. Bark, 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 bark. We're chicken. I, I know we probably should help out and serve somewhere, but I'm not going. Bark, bark, bark. That's not what God called us to. God called us to be totally committed to it, but we don't want to be the pig, right? <laughs> we don't want to lay down and make that sacrifice. But friends, that's what's required of us. That's what Jesus is talking about. And, and I just want to say. For those of you who are still kind of thinking that way, I think it's time for a DTR. You might want to write that down, DTR. It means define the relationship. DTR means define the relationship. This is a term that's often used sometimes in dating, right? And when you're with somebody, you're kind of friends, you're single, they're single, and you're kind of like, I don't know what this is, where is this going? You need to have a DTR moment. It's called define the relationship are we a couple let's define that together and and a lot of times in a dating relationship you know there's a lot of emotions and a lot of feelings and and at that point if we're feeling that way and we're feeling the connection a lot of times we'll say yes and we'll jump into a relationship but can't we all agree sometimes those emotions and those feelings they they kind of wear out after a while they don't last and and sometimes the relationship just ends now, it's the same way with Elaine and I in our relationship. When we first started, man, there was a lot of sparks flying. I'm just telling you, it, it was great. It was it was awesome. And and I'm sure that, you know, for her, it's still that way every single day. Obviously, she, she just still feels that way all the time. But for me sometimes, yeah. Here's my point. What's your relationship with God? Have you defined that relationship? I would contend that I see a lot of people come to God with a lot of emotions and a lot of feelings and, oh, yes, God, yes, I surrender and here I am for you. But in the same way in a relationship, those emotions and those feelings don't always last, do they? And sometimes we drift away. I would say today, let's define that relationship. Let's just say, I am totally committed to you, God. God, this is who I am. I want to live a radical life, and we'll see the fruit from that too. Here's the second thing that God wants us to go after. God wants us to go after righteous living. Look at James 4, 7. 
Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded people. Do you know the difference between being a victim and being a victor? And that's what that means. Knowing God and what God says about you. That's how you're the difference between being a victim and a victor. It's righteous living in your life. Let's just play this out for a second. What would it look like if every single day we started by reading God's Word? Just, just five minutes. Just five minutes of opening God's Word and just reading it every single day. What would that look like? What would it look like if instead of hating the sinner, we just hated the sin? What would it look like if we would flee from anything that would mislead us? We would turn our eyes and we would run and go the opposite direction. What would that look like in our lives? What would it look like if we totally gave unselfishly of our time, our talents, and our treasure with no thought of what we were going to get back from it or out of it or, or needing any approval or praise that we just did it because it was the right thing to do? What would it look like if we truly forgave someone? Not because they deserve it, not because they asked for it, but because of what God's done for us. And not just the people that we're mad at or angry at. How about the people in your own house? Because if we're honest, a lot of times those are the hardest ones to forgive and to truly move on from. What would it look like if we prayed faithfully to God? One of the biggest frustrations I have with prayer, and, and people ask me all the time, Pastor, will you pray for me? And, and in my heart, I always say yes. But I want to let you know, I'm really struggling right now when people say, Pastor, I want you to pray for me because my first thought is, aren't you praying? <laughs> well, why do you need me to do it for you? Why, why can't, or do you understand you have the same access to God that I have? And, and I wonder too, and what I want to ask is to say, what does that mean to you to pray? And I've used this analogy before, but prayer is not a wishing well. We don't take our little coin to the fountain and throw it in and make a wish. That's not what prayer is. Do you understand that we have full access to the God of the universe who created the heavens and the earth, who knows all the stars and calls them by name and holds them in his hand, the one who has the power to heal any disease, to raise the dead, and you want to treat him like a wishing well? You want to have someone else talk to him on your behalf? I don't understand that. Friends, righteous living means we seek God's face in everything that we do. God is calling us to live righteously. How's that look in your life? And let's start there. So we need to be radical. We need to live righteously. Here's the third thing we need to do. And this, I think, is probably the most important one we can do. Restoration. Unity is the number one determining factor in the health and success of of a church. And can I just be honest with you? We need to fight for unity. Unity does not come naturally to us in any of our relationships, especially the church. That is why Jesus, on the night he would be betrayed by one of his closest friends and go to the cross for you and I, listen to what my Jesus prayed in John 17, verse 11. Holy Father, 
protect them by the power of your name. The name you gave me, listen to this, so that they may be one, just as we are one. Can we be honest? People are muddy. <laughs> they have issues. They will hurt you. People can be selfish. People are muddy. And if we want to be honest, that's why we want to avoid it because we don't want to get muddy. But do you know what my God says? He wants us to play in the mud. He wants us to, to, to be unified in that. And it gets messy, church. It gets hard sometimes. But we are called to fight for unity and to have restoration. I am convinced that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, leaving a church is not an option. It's, it's not an option. And you might argue with me, well, pastor, what if, what if I move to a new town? Do I still have to stay part of the church? What, what if I'm called by God to, to go and, and lead another ministry? Do I still have to be part of the church? Can I help you with that? Same thing that happened to Elaine and I. Elaine and I moved to a new community. Elaine and I were called to launch a ministry here in Yankton. But you need to understand that we never left our church. We didn't do that. Because that's a, a commitment that we made that we're going to stay there. And I understand that that's been the source of some conflict for some people who maybe don't understand what unity means. And I need to do a better job of teaching it because here's what you need to understand. We don't have enemies. We have an enemy and his name is Satan. And he hates you. He hates your family. He hates God's church. And he's going to do everything he can to seek, kill, and destroy the church. But he has a problem. He can't. Because God's church will overcome. But the only way Satan can attack is not from the outside, but it's from the inside. If he can divide brother and sister or brother and brother in Christ and sister and sister in Christ, that is how Satan can get authority and power of the church. That's why we need to fight for unity. That's why Jesus prayed at the night he was that. That is why restoration is so huge. There is nothing, and I'm going to say it again, there is nothing a brother and a sister in Christ should be able to do to me that will cause me to break that relationship with them and say, I'm no longer part of this church. I said this last week. I've said it again. I'm going to keep saying it over and over again. If I have not frustrated you yet as the pastor of this church, you haven't been here long enough. It will come. But, but can I just be honest? Are you okay if I could do that? I've been frustrated too. <laughs> In those moments when our humanity collides and you decide to walk away and you say, I'm done, you've just walked out of the promise of God. Because our identity determines everything. What you've just communicated is your wants, your desires, your hurts are greater than God's desire. Because what did God desire? Just what Jesus prayed. God desired that we would be one that we would be unified, and we would be unified in love. And you might say, Pastor, you're just all way over the top, but I don't think I am. <laughs> because look at what love means. What does love mean to you? In 1 Corinthians 13, it's very clearly what love is. Verse 7 says, love always protects. Love always trusts. 
Love always hopes. It always perseveres. That kind of love will never fail. It is this love, my friends, that will win the world over for Jesus Christ. Because it is this same love that has happened for centuries in generations throughout all cultures throughout the world. This kind of love overcomes all. And when a world sees a group of people loving each other in that way, it will not only bring them into the presence of an almighty God, it is absolutely irresistible. Every person you ever stand face to face with has a desire to be fully known and fully loved and fully accepted. Because what's the opposite? What are we left with if without that? We're left with guilt, right? We're left with shame. We're left with gossiping. That's why none of those things have any place in a church. That's why we go after restoration. No matter what. It might be painful. It might be awkward. It might be uncomfortable. But we need to seek that. We need to seek that out in our lives. You know, there was a young police officer that was getting ready to take his final exam, right? And this was one of the questions on his final exam. You're on patrol in the city when an explosion occurs in a gas main in a nearby street. Upon investigation, you find that a large hole has been blown in the footpath and there's an overturned van nearby. Inside the van, there's a strong smell of alcohol. Both occupants, a man and a woman, are injured. You recognize the woman as the wife of your chief of police. The man, you don't. A passing motorist stops by to offer you assistance, and you realize that he's a man you've been wanted for armed robbery. Suddenly, a man runs out of a nearby house, shouting that his wife is expecting a baby, and the shock of the explosion has made the birth imminent. Another man is crying for help, having been blown to an adjacent canal by the explosion. He can't swim. Would you describe in a few words what actions you would take? What would you do in this situation? And this is what the young man said. He thought for a moment, picked up his pen, and he wrote his answer. And church, I want to read this answer to you. What would you do in that situation? I would take off my uniform and mingle with the crowd. Oh, church. That's what I see us doing in our church. I see our desire to want to help. I see needs over and over again. But sometimes, can we be honest? We just kind of get overwhelmed by them. There's a lot of things that we can do. There's a lot of needs. Did you know that in our community this week, there will be a couple who will decide that their marriage needs to end. Did you know that in our community this week, there will be children who will go hungry? Did you know that in our community this week, there will be someone who struggles with addiction? There will be a family that will have to say goodbye prematurely to a loved one, never to see them again. There will be someone who loses their job. 
There will be somebody who loses their house. There will be somebody who has financial struggles. All of these things can happen all the time in our community. And, and if we can be honest, it can be quite overwhelming. And what do we do? How do we do that? But I think in the American church, we just take off our uniform and we just mingle with the crowd because we say, God, I don't know what to do. Do you know what God's calling us to do? God is calling us to live radical. He has called us to radical living. Well, we're going to jump in. Can we help everybody? Probably not, but I can help someone. I can step into a situation and I can try to be Jesus in that situation. It might be hard. It might be uncomfortable. You might not know what to do, but sometimes just being there and just showing that you're caring can make all the difference. God has called us to go after righteous living. Do the right thing no matter how it feels. Stay in God's word. Stay in community with other believers. Believe in the power of prayer. Righteous living can make a big difference. And God has called us to go after restoration. Maybe there's a broken relationship in your life you need to take care of. And maybe... This person doesn't deserve you to take care of it, but by showing that example, even if they don't respond in a positive way, I guarantee you there are people in your life who are watching you. And if you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ, restoration is not optional. It's required, and we're called to restore those relationships. Church, those are the things I want to go after. And I don't know where you're at on that spectrum, but can I just help you with something? As for me and my house, we're going to go after those things. And next Sunday, we're going to come together and we're going to decide as a church. We're going to say, yes, we're going to go after those things. And, and, and I want us to remember what happened with David. Remember all the way back at the beginning when David was in that situation and God said, go after him. Pursue your men and their families and, and all of the wives and the children that had been taken captive. Go after those Amalekites and take them. And, and church, I want to leave you with good news. You ready for some good news, church? 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 18. David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken. Nothing was missing. Young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. Church, I believe in a God who wants everyone to find a relationship with Him. And I believe with all my heart He has appointed us in this time and in this place for His purposes. God has called us to go after this community, but it's going to require some radical living. It's going to require some righteous living. And it's going to cause us to live in restoration. Who's coming with me? And let's go after it together because I believe we will bring everyone back into that. God, I thank you so much for the life of David. I thank you that you've called him to go after and fight what's worth fighting for. Nothing's more important than fighting for our families, our children, our wives, the helpless. God, forgive us in this community when we are lazy. God, when we just want to sit back and lick our wounds and, and not take the risk and, and when we regret and we don't think it's worth it, God, forgive us for that part. You didn't save us and call us for that kind of lifestyle. You saved and called us for a radical lifestyle. And God, I pray for righteousness in our community, God. 
I pray that we would seek you. We would never forget that you're always present no matter what. And that our actions shouldn't change because we know that you're there watching us, God. And God, I pray that we would be in your word and we would be in prayer. We would understand the power of what we're doing right now as a community. We're in the presence of the living God who can do all things. And we're asking you to come to this community and bring down your spirit and restore the lives and the marriages that need to happen. And God, I pray for restoration. God, let us be a people that we rush to forgiveness. God, let us be quick to fight for unity. God, if there's ever anything that comes up between us, let us bring it to the light. Let us expose it. Let us claim forgiveness and let us admit our faults and make it better as quickly as possible so we can get right back at getting what matters, which is your people. Thank you for the privilege of us being your church in this time and in this community. And we ask all these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you live in the Yankton area, we'd love for you to join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at the Minerva's Convention Center. If you'd like to grow more in your faith, please check out one of our life groups that meet throughout the week. For a list of days and times, please visit our website, yankton.church. You can also check us out on Facebook and YouTube at Celebrate Yankton.